0: Welcome to Pastor Bill's classroom. We are in our study of the Corinthian letters, lesson 62, entitled, The Death of Death. Hello, welcome back to our midweek study. We are uh, in the process of working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. You have got a Bible with you. If you don't, pause this and get one. Uh, Bible study is not me studying and you watching. It's us studying together and using the gifts God's given me and the time he's given me to hopefully teach you, but again, not to make you dependent upon me, but to make you dependent upon the Scripture. So go get that Bible. And uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15, down in verse uh, 50 and following. I want to show you while you're looking there, and again, you can pause this because this is going to be really impressive. You're going to be amazed at this. Prepare yourself. Show you something you, it's going to wow you. Watch, this is just a regular paper mate pen. Watch what happens when I let go of it. Do you see that? I'll show you again. Pencil this time. Watch. See that? It's not made out of metal, but it's attracted to the earth. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Here's another pencil. Watch this. Instead of dropping it, I'm going to go like this. So, so notice it defeated the pull, and then it. Was defeated by the pool. It cheated it for a little bit, but then it it wasn't permanent. Uh, isn't? Aren't you impressed by that? Now we're not impressed by that. Gravity is part of our lives. I mean, we accept it. It's uh, uh, not a novelty. Certainly, we're used to it. We embrace it because there are no exceptions to it. Not at all. Uh, they say the strongest gravitational pull in the universe is a black hole. You've probably heard of a black hole. It's a star that's collapsed, reached a certain age, and has collapsed in on itself. And it creates this massive uh, draw, this gravity, pulls in even other stars, uh, pulls in light. Even light can't escape the gravity. That's a powerful thing. The most powerful gravitational pull in the universe, they say, is a black hole, but there is something they're not considering. Uh, Something stronger than a black hole, actually. Because this something even sucks in black holes. And that something is called death. Black holes die, don't they? Stars, our sun, our planet, our bodies, our world... And everything in it, nothing, there are things that escape black holes. There's black holes in the universe right now that are not affecting us whatsoever. There is nothing that escapes death, is there? Absolutely nothing. It is the ultimate gravity. There's nothing that escapes its pull. So I want to talk to you about the, that topic today. And uh, let's begin with a word of prayer, and then we're going to get into... Uh, our subject. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you have defeated death. Uh, You defeated death through your son, Jesus, and that because of our faith in him, death has been defeated in us. And we've been studying together this resurrection and what you're bringing, uh, not only to us, but also to our world. And it's exciting to know, and we're uh, hard to imagine what life's going to be like. But Lord, we know that you promise us, and we trust you. And we help, help us to understand what what has happened to us in death, what has also happened to us in the life that comes through Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to be down to verse 15 in just a second. Let me read this little story to you. It's about a preacher. It says, There is a preacher of the old school, but he speaks as boldly as ever. He is not popular, even hated by most, But the world is his parish, and he travels every part and speaks every language. He visits the rich, and he visits the poor alike. He preaches to people of every religion and people with no religion, and the subject of his sermon is always the same. He is eloquent, and yet he's despised. He often stirs feelings which no other preacher can stir and brings tears to those who've never wept. His arguments none are able to refute, nor is there any heart that has remained unmoved by the force of his appeals. He shatters life with his message. Most hate him. Everyone fears him. And every tomb is his pulpit, and every newspaper is Prince's text, and someday every one of us will be his sermon. Who is he? His name is Death. His name is Death. You think about it, I mean, all of our fitness programs, all of our cosmetics and medications and surveys all attempt to cheat this this guy, but nothing does. Nothing ultimately does. No one can cheat him forever. Death swallows up everything and always has, with one exception. And that one exception, the Bible speaks of on multiple occasions, but here's in one place in Isaiah where it speaks of the exception that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And not only what it accomplished for him, of course, bringing him back to life, but also what it accomplishes for us and for the entire world. Watch this. This is Isaiah chapter 25, verses 7 and 8 very early prediction of Jesus' resurrection and the power of it that we've been studying here in 1 Corinthians 15. On this mountain, he's talking about Zion in the middle of Israel where Jerusalem is. On this mountain, he will destroy the covering which is over all peoples. There's no exception to that covering. The veil which is stretched over all nations. He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord will wipe tears away from all faces. And He will remove the disgrace of His people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Prophesied, like I said, three, 500 years, 600 years before Jesus. 3,000, almost 3,000 years ago. Jesus has swallowed up death through His resurrection and will remove every last trace of it from the universe. That's what Jesus has done. Death hasn't just been defeated It has been swallowed up. The thing that swallows us all, the thing that sucks everything in, is going to be spitting it all out. It's going to be swallowed up itself. The death of death, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 58. Paul has been taking us through, testifying to us about the fact of the death of death by explaining the difference between our current bodies and uh, the resurrected bodies that are to come and so uh, we're not going to back up and read those passages but but I'm going to give you an illustration hopefully help us better kind of bring it together. He says now I now I say this brethren verse 50 that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. He's not talking about the he's not saying though because he's been saying this all along. He's not reversing what he said. He's not saying oh there's no such thing as a resurrection. He's not saying that. People read that. See, see, we can't be physical. We're going to be just spiritual. That's not what he's saying. He says it's, it's, it's corruptible. It's perishable stuff. Can't inherit uh, imperishable stuff. See, we, we have to be changed. We're definitely coming back physical. You're not going to be something other than what you were. You are who you are. Your genetics are unique. You will be resurrected. You will be raised f- to forever be yourself a physical being with flesh and blood, but not the corrupted flesh and blood. Think of it this way, our current corrupted flesh and blood cannot be in heaven anymore or in eternity any, for the same reasons any more than a caterpillar can fly. They both have to be transformed. Caterpillar can't fly. Your physical body, listen, can't be in the current one, can't be in heaven, can't be in eternity. It has to be transformed. Again, carry, stick with me on this illustration. A caterpillar and a butterfly turns into, that it turns into, are the same creature. Not two different creatures. They're not genetically different. They're biologically the same, but at the same time not alike at all. same is going to be true for our physical bodies. The, our current physical body, which is corruptible, which is perishable, is the same in some ways, biologically, genetically, as the body of our resurrection and, and at the same time Not the same at all. Not the same at all. A caterpillar will never fly without being transformed. Similarly, our bodies will not be in heaven eternity without being transformed. It's coming for us. The big part's already been accomplished. Our spiritual renewal. Our, our spiritual resurrection, our soul and spirit has been resurrected already through the process of Christ. So we're already in the middle of this, if not three quarters of the way through it. The, the final part is just our body. It's already, the bigger stuff has already been done. Our resurrection is, is an inevitable thing. Verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. It's a mystery. They they've, must be changed. Notice we have to be changed. We, we have to be. Eternity is going to be a place where all bodies physical bodies are going to be changed to incorruptible. The mystery, though, let's stop for a second because we need to look at a couple of words here. First of all, the word mystery is the same word that we use in our English language but it doesn't mean the same things. For, for us, I'm, I'm saying that from From a writer in the New Testament, writing from the Greek, and we're translating into English. We're translating the English word "mystery," but that word doesn't mean the same as it does in our ears. So let me explain this. So first of all, for us, a mystery is something that is suspected. We suspect something. Something's not right. Something has to be searched out. Something has to be understood and discovered. That for us is a mystery. That's not what Paul is saying when he's saying mystery. The word mystery or the meaning of the word mystery in the New Testament is something that is completely unknown. You don't suspect it. It was never suspected, therefore never searched out, never considered, never thought about, never under any ways considered, and can only be revealed through God's revelation. So you don't know, as they say, what you don't know. And you don't know this. A mystery to us is something that, can be known and is suspected. The New Testament, a mystery, is something that can't be known and and is never suspected and can only be known through the revelation of God. So what Paul is effectively saying is, I'm about to tell you something that no one ever thought about, much less knew. No prophet, no priest, no servant of God has ever known prior to the New Testament era, and that very simply is this, that some people... Some people will not die. Again, look what it says there in verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. He's talking about physical death. Not everybody's going to die, but we shall all be changed. So, so notice there's an exception because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. There will be exception for some. Some will be here when Christ comes in the rapture of the church, and they will never enter into death. Most of us will not have that experience, but, but some will never die. Death will simply not happen to us, physical death, but we will definitely be changed. And, and so he's telling us this, this mystery that nobody ever knew before, verse 52. So it would have been a, a mind-boggling thing for them that, that some people would never die because they understood death to be universal, which, of course, it is, with, with a few exceptions, that is. Verse 52, in a moment, speaking of this change and this resurrection, it only takes a moment. The twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. So those that have passed away or slept or who have fallen asleep, as he calls it there, will be raised first, imperishable. And we, that is those who haven't died, will be changed. The mystery of those who didn't die but are definitely changed for. Uh, from time into eternity. So a couple of words here to understand. First of all, the word moment there in verse 52. In a moment is the Greek word atomos. It's where we get our word atom from. In the Greek mind, the atom was the smallest thing in the universe. They didn't understand atoms really, but they certainly didn't understand subatomic particles like protons and neurons and electrons and that kind of thing. So they thought the atom was the smallest thing and because it was the smallest, it couldn't be divided. Of course, we know atoms can be divided. We have nuclear energy, we have nuclear bombs, right? I mean, we have other things. So atoms definitely can't be divided. They didn't understand that, but they, so Paul is using this word atomus referring to the smallest unit, smallest portion of time. It's the shortest time could possibly be. In a moment, it says another place, in a twinkling of the eye, the last trumpet, right? The last trumpet is, what is that? So how many trumpets are there? If there's this is the last one, well it can't be the second. Well it could be the second one, but there has to be at least the first one. And in fact, there's not just a first one. There was seven. This is uh, uh, wedding language. May not sound that way to you, but it would have been understood by the readers and certainly the writer Paul. He's talking about the last trumpet. He was referring to all the other, there's seven other, six other trumpets in addition, And this last one would have been the seventh one. Seven trumpets were traditionally blown during the process of an engagement and the marriage of a Hebrew couple. They, they would blow seven different trumpets because that process would have been, so it went all the way from the official announcement of their engagement, which would have meant the next thing that has to happen is the groom has to get a job. That trumpet would have been announced there. That would have been one of them. They would have been announced at their engagement, announced it to get him a job, announced that so he laid the foundation of their house. He's not only had to have a job to support his wife, he has to have a house to put her in. Great system. Make sure that your daughter was, went from the security of her father to the security of her husband who was going to provide for her. He didn't just promise to provide for her. He actually had the goods. He had the pay stubs. He's got the house. He's got it finished. So in the process of building that house, they would sound different trumpets in the process of getting ready for the marriage ceremony. The last trumpet, though, when it was blown, the seventh one, you knew that everything was ready for the official marriage. Jesus uses wedding language for us. He says, "...behold, I go to prepare a place for you." Right? John chapter 14. I go to prepare a place for you. That's a husband speaking to his bride. That's the church. Behold I go to prepare a place for you and if I go to prepare a place for you I will return to you that's the coming of Jesus at the what? The last trumpet. And receive you to myself that where I am there may you be also. Now we we hear it as a savior to the uh, saved and of course it definitely is. But that's really, ultimately, originally wedding language of a husband to his bride and happening at the last trumpet. And so we have that whole analogy being brought together here and I want to make sure that you see it. Let's keep reading here in verse 50, 53. Again, this whole issue of us being changed from the, perishable, imperishable to the from the perishable to the imperishable. For the perishable must put on the imperishable. It has to. It has to because the perishable cannot inherit imperishable. Heaven and eternity are going to be imperishable. It's not like this world. Everything around us is dying. It's dilapidating. It's disintegrating. There is nothing that isn't sucked in by death. But we are entering into an eternity in which death will simply not exist. It will die. So, So the dying part of us, physical body, has to go away and be replaced by an undying part of us, a future body. So, so the perishable, verse 52, in a moment the twinkling of an eye, we, we read that, but let's keep reading, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed, for this perishable, physical body currently, must put on imperishable, the resurrected body, and this mortal must put on immortality. So he's talking about perishable means if you've already passed away, so there's some that have died, and they're going to receive a new body. And there's others who are still mortal, who are going to, receive, who are going to be alive and remain, who are going to be changed, as Paul says there, that, that uh, mystery that he's proclaimed there. But in both referring to the same thing, you're not going to keep the same bodies you got. Whether you died in that body, or whether you're still living in that body, you're not keeping it. It's not yours. Because... Because uh, that's the way eternity is going to be for us, as Jesus has guaranteed it. So, But there is no otherwise, there is no defeat for death. There is no stopping it. It, it, is, it is an inevitability. Death is. Death sucks everything in. I read a sad story of a woman who was suffering from a terminal illness and or a potentially terminal illness, and she was sent home from the hospital because there was just really nothing else they could do. They were hoping maybe she could go home, maybe that something else would help, maybe being home would help her, and so she wasn't quite on hospice yet, but it, she was close to it, and uh, sent home, very sick, uh, uh, bound to her room, bound to bed, and she hadn't uh, yet gotten the courage to tell her little six-year-old daughter what was really going on. Of course, she knew mommy was sick, but she didn't know how sick. And so uh, one day the doctor had come to visit, and he was sitting down in the bedroom uh, with this woman and, and her husband, and he says, I, I've got to be very frank with you guys. Uh, um, unless something changes, he says, I don't expect that you are going to live through this autumn, this fall. And unbeknownst to the three of them, the little girl was listening. And when she heard that, she went out and started doing something very unusual, Of course, what's the sign of autumn or fall? Leaves falling. The mom looked out the window, and the little girl had a a roll of scotch tape in her hand, and she was picking up the leaves. It's a sad story, I know. Picking up the leaves and taping them back on the tree, because somehow in her mind she believed that that would stop her mom uh, from passing. If she could just stop autumn from coming, right? You can just stop the inevitable. Put the leaves back on the trees, and so then maybe mommy will live. Well, uh, no, she won't. You can't stop it. Like I say, it's like stopping the tide. It's like stopping the leaves from falling. You simply cannot do it. But Jesus, on the other hand, has stopped it for all those who's placed their faith in him. Verse 54. But when this perishable will put on imperishable, and this mortal put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death is gonna die. Death is gonna be replaced. Death is gonna be replaced. It's not just a matter of Jesus halted death. Jesus has reversed the process. The resurrection means, resurrection of Christ means that he's robbed death of all of its victories. All the past and present victories of death, Jesus will rob them all. As I said before. Everything that death has sucked in, it will be made to spit it back out. Everything that death has done is going to be reversed. Verse 55, notice this, this, the emphaticness of this. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Somebody put it this way. When death stung Jesus, it actually stung itself to death. It did. The stinger has been stung. The grim reaper has been reaped. Isn't that awesome? Verse 56. The sting of death is sin. So how do we know we're going to die? Because you sinned. It's like getting bit by a snake. Now you got bit by a snake two seconds ago. Are you dead yet? Nope. But if you don't do something, you will be dead. There is no antivenom for a sin. Jesus alone rescues us. Jesus alone, even though we got stung by sin, he dies in our place, right? You know the story. He dies in our place. We were stung by sin. He dies in our place, and He pays the law because the law requires our death. The soul that sins, it will surely die, the law says. But that's not what happens to us. Jesus didn't sin. He died in our place so that we don't have to experience the death that He experiences. We may physically die, but He's reversing all that. He's undoing all that. Death's going to spit up everything that it has swallowed. He's defeated sin at the cross, and defeated uh, the requirements of the law because He's taken them upon Himself. So the conclusion of the matter is very simply this. Since our our resurrection is a certainty, how should we live? How how do I operate between now and then? Since, since, Since our resurrection is a certainty, and these incredible truths aren't just for the hereafter, they're also for the here and now. Our resurrection should affect how we live. Verse 58. Therefore, well, I didn't read all of it. Uh, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, by beloved brethren, be steadfast. Here's how the resurrection should affect us the here and now. Immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil in the Lord is not in vain. Everything else is, though. Every other work, every other is in vain. You labor for income only to leave it to someone else. Sadly so. You labor for health only to lose it in the end. Sadly so. You labor for achievement and accomplishment only to be forgotten. Sadly so. There's only one thing. Or there's only, I should say, they're all, they're all the same more or less. There's only ultimately one thing that is not in vain, and that's the Lord's work. The work of His Word, the souls of men and women, they're eternal. The Word of God lasts forever. Invest yourself in this. Do not grow weary in the Lord's work, because we know, unlike everything else, our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Involve yourself in the things that will last forever. And not to say you quit your job, not to say that you don't save and you don't accomplish not to say that you don't take care of your health but understand death is swallowing all that it's all going to be gone it's all in vain ultimately it is so make sure that as we are trying to prosper in this world that we're rich with regards to God let's pray together God I thank you that we can be rich in you rich not only just in knowledge but also in service and in work, this resurrection, this, this renewal, this death of our deaths. Does it, we don't have to wait till that happens to experience the benefits. The benefits for our world and for us is today. How I live, how I think, how I operate, how I speak, what really matters, what I really ultimately invest in, changes all that. Jesus, thank you for swallowing up the thing that swallows all of us. Help us to live today in your victory, we ask. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.